This is Public Occurrences, both foreign and domestic. And now your host, Michael O'Fallon. exponential, transformative, change has been happening in all of our institutions in the United States. Among the many transformations would be from shareholder economic structures to stakeholder structures, from analog to digital, from the objectively real to the simulacra, from the scientific method to alchemy, from the concept of liberty and equality to the concepts of collectivism and equity from binary to non-binary, from justice to social justice, from nationalism to supranationalism, from colorblind to critical race theory, or better defined, race Marxism. And where I say race Marxism, I mean taking the original class theory of Marxism with class consciousness, and transitioning into a Marxist structure of race consciousness. A Marxian conflict theory of race, or calling everything one wants to control racist until it is fully under your control. Or a belief that racism created by white people for their own benefit is the fundamental organizing principle of society. And where I was a witness to the beginning of the transformation of our world into this, shall we say, new order of the world, sort of a reset of the world, was first in the corporate world, then through geopolitics, but then in faith. As I had said before, I am a former Roman Catholic and watched as these changes took place in Catholicism, and I read quite a bit from Father Malachi Martin. And then I heard about this massive change of everything, and that if we got on board with this massive reset of the world, things would be good for us. But if we oppose this massive change, well, then things were not going to be so good for us. Of course, I first heard this from folks that were either in international politics or Chinese billionaire oligarchs, but as well within the travel industry. And then there was the time that I heard that there was going to be the same massive change happening, the same story that I had heard from Chinese billionaires and oligarchs and CEOs of massive hospitality corporations. Heck, even the same things that I had actually heard while attending IMAX last in 2019 when I sat through the 17 Sustainable Development Goals of the United Nations talk. And of course, my questions were not well received. Well, then there was the first time that I heard this same Faustian bargain from a Southern Baptist. And I heard this exact same proposal of, there is a change coming to the world and there is nothing you can do to stop it. And of course, as I've said many times before, that came from Ed Stetzer at a meeting that I was at at Jack's Place Restaurant, located inside the Rosen Plaza Hotel. And with me at this bizarre dinner that I picked up the check for, by the way, was Pastor Roy Hargrave and Dr. Tom Askell. But at this point, in around 2009, this is where you began to see in earnest the operational preparation of the environment for what would be an attempt to transform the epistemological basis and 
theological intent of Christianity, very specifically within the Southern Baptist Convention, but also in nearly every evangelical denomination, seminary, and parachurch ministry in the United States. Of course, while this was happening within Christianity, it was as well happening in every other religion and affinity group in the Western Hemisphere. It was also happening in nearly every major corporation in the world, with, of course, the World Economic Forum and the Council on Foreign Relations being in the mix. And yes, I have been quite a bit around men who are part of those organizations. Some were my clients over the years. And being at the center of this radically subjective transformation, well, of course, there's China. But they're cheering all this on, but they have no intention in participating in any of it. Along with all of these encouragements of critical race theory also comes intersectionality. And as I've said many times before, intersectionality is more of the goal of this entire game. Because as critical race theory deconstructs and dismantles the foundations of our hermeneutic model in evangelicalism, of course it does this by cracking away, by imposing a structure of standpoint epistemology with intersectionality as its actual end goal. And of course, this creates what Dr. Jordan Peterson refers to as the Hobbesian battleground of competing identities. Now, along with this as well, you will now see the resurgence of the Christian Enviro-Communist movement that is going to be touting sustainability even within the SBC. And the reason that so many in the Southern Baptist Convention and wider evangelicalism went along with this for so long is that they knew, as I knew, that there was a metasystem change coming. And the new system was going to be fully based upon central bank digital currencies and environmental, social, and governance, ESG. So over the past 16 to 20 years, some Southern Baptist leaders have been rather prominent in meetings and conversations with those that have planned all of this enviro-communo-fascist insanity out over the past decade. And through it all, they have used an incremental process of introducing these concepts into their congregations. So the same race Marxism and sustainability talking points given to major universities and corporations and all other religions have been introduced into the Southern Baptist Convention. The same horrible gospel-destroying ideologies have been now interwoven into Southern Baptist thinking not for any purposes of racial reconciliation, as they claim, because that would be a bizarre form of ethnic collectivism. And once again, that creates a form of race consciousness, and it obliterates the understanding, biblically, of the way that reconciliation is supposed to be happening, by hearts reconciling, individually, not a collective process. Now, of course, all of this can be wrapped up with a bow of the promotion of supranationalism and the constant insulting of anyone that holds to something that would be in the form of nationalism. Now that is, except for Ukrainian nationalism. When it comes to Ukraine, go full nationalism and protect those borders at any cost. But the very idea that someone would promote the sovereignty of individual nation states has now become anathema in the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, the entire reason that I named my organization Sovereign Nations is because I knew, ultimately, 
that the sovereignty of nations and of the individual was what was at stake. And those that are seeking a, now how did Joe Biden say it yesterday? A new world order. Yeah, that's it. Well, that means that the sovereignty of the United States was no longer possible. So now, any Southern Baptist who says, quote, I love my country, end quote, or God bless the USA, or Lord forbid, make America great again, was basically called a Nazi or a white supremacist. Because the role of religion to usher in the fourth industrial revolution is to ease the way of their constituency into this framework. And that is what the establishment leadership of the Southern Baptist Convention has done over the past, well, a bit more than a decade. Hobnobbing with the political Malthusians, transitioning the Southern Baptist Convention into a large convention of community organizers, and creating the grievance gospel. And as goes the Southern Baptist Convention, so goes the rest of evangelicalism. Now, when I first started making a lot of noise about this political move disguised as a theological move in evangelical Christianity, I was called a conspiracy theorist. Not many wanted to stand with me in 2017 at our first conference to tackle CRT, supranationalism, intersectionality, etc., which was held, by the way, on October 31st, 2017, on the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Not many stood with me then, but some did start to stand with me by 2018. And those men would be men like Josh Bice, Vody Bauckham, and Dr. Tom Askell. After the gigantic critical race theory fest that was more of a progressive political rally at the MLK 50 conference, and after the incredibly grotesque critical social justice fest at T4G, others started coming back to me as well saying, well, we now see it. What do we do? And the first time that we had a discussion about the possibility of what would eventually be the statement on social justice in the gospel, well, that started with a conversation between Dr. Josh Bice and myself as we watched in horror the unfolding of the ERLC's MLK 50 critical race theory circus. And in that conversation between Josh Bice and myself, basically realizing that a strong statement had to be made, not a line in the sand, but a line in the bedrock, in the foundation. And then our very next call was to Tom Askell. And what many don't know is that Tom Askell actually provided the early framework for the text that would eventually be the statement on social justice in the gospel. But there were many hands of editing that got into the statement, and it wasn't as strong or rigorous as some of us wanted it to be. But Tom Askell was the man that provided the first structural draft and form of that statement. So we had the statement on social justice in the gospel. And then I held a conference just before G3. And again, thanks for Josh Bice for allowing me to do so for sovereign nations. And the speakers for that conference, that really was the first total conference focused on intersectionality, critical race theory, on the concepts of white privilege. Well, the first speakers were Josh Bice, James White, Phil Johnson, Vody Bauckham, yours truly, and Tom Askell. Now, of course, when you think of these men, you're thinking of men that normally, in regards to being around the elite of the SBC or of the PCA, 
of the, what you would call maybe the reformed mafia. Well, those are not the folks that would be always at the table with them. And that's because these men meant what they said and said what they meant, unlike many of the others. But the panel that we had might have been the highlight of that conference, and apparently a half a million of you agree. And we established clearly that wokeism is a new religion. That was really the first time that anybody in an evangelical Christian had suggested such thing, that it had an Augustinian construct to it. And yes, I remember everybody that was in the audience. And as well in the audience, you had a lot of men that were either Christian denominational leaders or men that were the head of several parachurch ministries. And those men weren't there to participate but to listen, jump on their phones, and then get back to headquarters, if you will. And now, all of a sudden, by early 2019, the SBC started to do some backtracking. And some leaders who want to pretend to be conservative, and also who wanted to eventually be maybe president of the SBC someday, started to retreat from the Bailey and head back to the Mott of Safety. So for some leaders in the SBC who happen to live in, I don't know, Louisville, Kentucky, <coughs> backtracked, but others were left confused. And at the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting in 2019, the infamous Resolution 9 was rolled out, which supported Southern Baptists using critical race theory and intersectionality as analytical tools. Can you imagine that happening in 2022, by the way? Yeah, probably not. We've come a long way since then. Yes, so at the Southern Baptist Convention in Birmingham in 2019, the Resolutions Committee attempted to legitimize race Marxism, a Marxian conflict of race, as a bona fide analytical tool in the Southern Baptist Convention. Al Mohler did not stand up to object. J.D. Greer did not stand up to object. Danny Aiken did not stand up to object. And Willie Rice did not stand up to object. But Tom Buck did. And so did Dr. Tom Askell. And that led to my jumping up on a skyscraper rooftop in Manhattan three weeks later to film the Trojan Horse series on critical race theory and intersectionality. And of course, that was tweeted out by folks like Glenn Beck, Sebastian Gorka, Donald Trump Jr., and others. And the unwinding of this insidious infusing of neo-Marxist thought into Christianity kicked into high gear. That conversation between myself and Dr. James Lindsay was the very beginning of Tom Askell's movie on the entire controversy, By What Standard? And just a few months after... Tom Askell and the founders, released a trailer to their upcoming movie. And within 10 hours of releasing that trailer, every single seminary president in the Southern Baptist Convention and other major leaders blasted Tom Askell for the three-minute trailer of his upcoming movie that basically was showing that there were dangerous ideologies coming into the Southern Baptist Convention. And Dr. Moeller stated on that day, quote, Yes, folks, I have now seen the Founders Ministries video trailer, and I am alarmed at how some respected SBC leaders are represented. 
Southern Baptists expect and deserve a respectful and honest exchange of ideas. I am convinced that we are capable of this. Yes. Of course, Al, in the entirety of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary up to that point in 2019, did not lift a finger to warn the church about critical race theory. But Tom Askell did. And Tom Askell and Vody Bauckham are. And the reason that it seems so outrageous that Tom Askell was actually talking about the infusion of critical social justice in the church was because there has been a complete reflexive intent of the SBC to embrace these cancerous Marxist ideologies. Now, I'm not talking about the individual pastors, but I'm talking about those that are within the elite leadership clique. And this was the summer of 2019. And the only talk of critical race theory and intersectionality was to honor those two neo-Marxist concepts as analytical tools. So to be a leader and to insist that the church not be brought down the road of race Marxism and this dystopian form of enviro-communo-fascism was to be alone, was to actually be courageous, was to be a true reformer. And truth be told, what we are up against today is exponentially more challenging than the Reformation. And I will expand on that issue in a future podcast, but Tom Askell is the right man for this moment in the Southern Baptist Convention. So let's go back in time to Orlando 12 years ago, back at Jack's place with Roy Hargrave and Tom Askell and Ed Stetzer. And this was the first time that Tom had ever heard a nuanced, manipulative conversation about these things. And as Tom and I left, I said, Tom, did you hear what Ed just said? And as usual, Tom is very gracious, and Tom really wanted to give Ed the benefit of the doubt. But he kind of said that, and then again, this is honorable, but with his head to the side saying something's going on here, but I haven't figured it out yet. And heck, you know, for myself, I was in the middle of all of that at the current time. I knew it was going on. I didn't have the guts to stand up and start talking about it yet. But this started a careful and concerned dialogue that I had with Tom Askell that went through the years, including bringing Tom Askell with me to China on one occasion, where we both sat down with the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences. And what I had seen, and the plans that had been revealed to me over the course of many years from corporate, political, and geopolitical leaders, was quite concerning. And so, and this is wrong again, and so, as I have shared publicly, I was careful not to share all that I knew in the beginning, because I really didn't want people to think I was crazy. Well, that also means that I lack courage and conviction. And this betrayed the mission that if I really was a Christian, heck, if, even if I was just an honest man, that I needed to follow. But over the years, Tom Askell and I continued to talk. And the company that I own, Sovereign Alliance, helped with many of the founders, that's Tom's ministry, helped with many of their meetings, events, cruises, etc. And I continued to want to speak to Tom Askell through all of these things. And as I said to many people, 
Tom Askell was normally my first phone call that I would make when I was in a really tough dilemma. I trusted that Tom would think about the issue, and if he didn't have an answer right off the top of his head, he would ask if he could just think and pray about it and then call me back. That's the kind of quality of person that Tom is. Well, Tom's grandfather was a Muslim man who migrated from Damascus, Syria. Probably most of you didn't know that. And his dad was born of the oldest of three children. But Tom was raised as a faithful Christian, faithful to his church and to his wife, Donna. And Tom Askell has not played the ministry corporate ladder climbing game. He has been at his local church for decades, preaching the gospel, ministering to families, which is, of course, unusual in SBC politics, as men climb ladders and jump at cabinet positions. And through those years, Tom has been a friend through those years. And I believe that Tom Aska will be a friend to the Southern Baptist Convention, as well as a reformer. Yes, there might be some tough conversations. <laughs> Heck, they've been some tough conversations with me and Tom through the years. And there might be some disagreements, too. But reformed or not reformed, Tom Askell loves the church. He loves God's people. Also with Tom Askell is Vody Bauckham, who will be nominated for the president of the Pastors' Conference. And I have known Vody for a good many years. And it was in 2015 when Vody was on a panel at the Gospel Coalition's Time to Speak conference, where Vody Bauckham had to face a grievance gospel panel that was comprised of a three-on-one of the Pied Piper of Wokeism, Ed Stetzer, Matt Chandler, and Thabiti Anabuile. And then they started to push that critical social justice view of the issues with Michael Brown. And then Vody Bauckham stood up for truth, objective truth, tooth and nail. And all the nonsensical Derek Bell and Kimberly Crenshaw, not to mention W.E.B. Du Bois, language was being used by the Stetzer contingent. And Vody Bauckham refused to budge. And then, of course, after that event, Vody's speaking invitation suddenly started to evaporate. It's interesting how that works. And so after I watched that ideological and theological mugging of Vody Bauckham in 2015, it was one of the many things that led me to start Sovereign Nations. You see, it was obvious to me that many had no idea what Vody was even arguing about. And what the other white men that were arguing with Vody were insisting was that Vody just didn't have the right perspective on the issues. So, a few years later, when I had made the decision that we were going to begin Sovereign Nations back in 2017, I spoke to Vody in the lobby of the Atlanta Airport Marriott that January. And I explained to him that we were going to take this thing on. And that we all needed him on the team. And that when I lit the fuse that we did, again on October 31st, 2017, that date was purposeful at the first Sovereign Nations Conference to take on critical race theory, intersectionality, and all the nonsense. We needed him. 
And so, with Josh and I uh, for starting things, and then calling Tom, and then James White, and then Phil Johnson, and then John MacArthur, well, we also called Vody. And Vody was with us in Dallas at the first meeting for the statement on social justice and the gospel. And Vody was with me in Scotland the next year. And Vody spoke at our pre-G3 Sovereign Nations Conference in early 2019 with his presentation title being, What is Social Justice? Vody knows the issues. Vody has walked the walk. And maybe, just maybe, the SPC could use the perspective of a black man living in Africa, who is committed to an exegetical hermeneutic, to run the pastor's conference. And after the train wrecks that some of the pastors' conferences have been over the past several years of the SBC, this would be a fundamental change in direction. Because the standard would be the Word of God. The hermeneutic would be from an exegetical methodology that determines the actual meanings of the words and intent of the Word of God. Which is, of course, completely different from the radical subjectivism being shoved down the throats of pastors today. So Tom Askell and Vody Bauckham represent a complete change of direction for the Southern Baptist Convention, a change of direction that might be enough to change the direction of not just the Southern Baptist Convention, but also the rest of evangelicalism. But the other side, the deep state of the SBC, does not see this battle as a theological battle alone. They also see this as a political battle. because. You need to have a new systematic theology in Christianity because you are undergoing a metasystem change and the new systems have to work together. In synchronization, they have to work together without any friction as we really go from a multipolar world to a unipolar world. And it is always the opposite of what they tell you it really is. And that is why the Southern Baptist Convention has gone the direction that it has over the past 20 years or so. So, some men have capitulated to this transformation of Christianity into a woke, subjective, ecumenist religion of social justice, because they believe that they are really saving the church, that they're really doing the right thing. They are really trying to save the gospel in some form and the church in some form, and many have tried to convince me of the same thing over the last 12 years or so. And if you are one of those pastors or leaders who are listening right now to this podcast, let me give you a different perspective. Here's the problem. You have been told to not tell your congregations what is really happening with our nation and the world. You are told to stay silent about the real big sort or move into the fourth industrial revolution. You are told to say vague things like, Evangelicals are going to need to vote differently than evangelicals normally vote. And you're going to be told to promote neo-Marxist ideologies like white fragility and critical race theory from your altars. And I really want you to think about who told you to do those things. Because after I lit the fuse to fully explain what critical race really was, back in 2017 through 2019, well, you had to backtrack especially when we fully laid it on in 2020 and started the big movement. You had to jump out of the bailey and into the mott. 
And now everyone can see that either you had no idea what you were talking about when you pushed social justice and critical race theory a few years ago, or you only changed your position on critical race theory because it was no longer politically viable. They see that. So either you were ignorant or dishonest, and your congregation sees this. But you see it too. So maybe instead of just playing it straight and coming out and talking about it, maybe instead you call those of us that love the gospel and want to save our church, family, and nation. Maybe you call us jerks for standing up against this Marxist move into supranational authoritarianism. But you know that those that encourage you to take this Marxist road to totalitarianism are the ones that convinced you to do this. And probably at first you were fairly resistant, at least I hope you were. But then somehow, because everybody else had committed to it, you committed too. Whether that be at the NAMB, the ERLC, one of the larger seminaries, it happened. But let me explain something to you if the SBC leaders who convinced you to take this road to dystopia didn't tell you at the time. And here's what it is. If this gigantic reset of our world and nation and church actually happens, it doesn't end well for you or your children or for those that you love. I know this first from being outside of the church. I knew what was going to happen. I know the really scary stuff. Because, gentlemen, I was in those rooms decades ago with the men that have dreamt up all the dehumanization that will be happening to us as we emanatize the eschaton. And maybe even the SBC or PCA leaders who told you that this was a good idea, maybe they don't know what is going to happen by around 2045 or so. Maybe they just know the until 2030 stuff. But if those that have dreamt up these things win, the church and Christian theology as we know it will be disrupted and dismantled and then formed into a roughed beast that will be slouching towards hell to be born. And I know you have probably heard that those that agree to go along with this will live extended lives and all sorts of things. They'll have privileges. Yes, I've been told that at least six or seven times. And maybe they've told you that the church you are pastoring will be more of a parish with sub-parishes, and that is why you need a multi-campus model. But all of that will be abandoned as the church becomes the state, and as the state becomes the family, and the family becomes the state, and as sustainability becomes the new religion. And you'll be told to submit and teach these things. And then it won't be just about slipping a little CRT into your sermons anymore. No. You'll be called upon to go full Malthusian, full transhumanism, fully embracing the new, omnipresent, omniscient, new AI God made by man's own hands. With a new meta heaven made and administered through artificial intelligence, 
and you won't be necessary anymore. They will use you now, but there will be a time that you won't be so useful anymore. Maybe, just maybe, they didn't tell you that part. So, don't be used. Don't be used to disrupt and dismantle God's church. Don't be used to disrupt and dismantle your own family. Don't be used to disrupt and dismantle the United States of America. And please, don't be used to disrupt and dismantle humanity itself. In other words, don't be used to be an agent of an antichrist strategy. Step away from this. Because your own congregations, your own family, will soon be looking at you, knowing that you helped and even contributed to the destruction of the church and the destruction of their lives. There will be no escaping that moment. They will see clearly how you have deceived them through the years. But the good thing is, the gospel is true. And you can repent. And you can turn away from this insidious strategy. And for once in your life, you can be truly courageous and stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know that they told you that there was nothing you can do to stop this from happening. <laughs> That's what they told all of us. But just imagine for a moment, if you could look at your wife in the eyes and explain that you have to go and slay a dragon. And then you could look at your children in the eyes and say, Daddy loves you, and he is going to need to tell the truth about some things, because Daddy loves you and doesn't want you to live in a communistic dystopia. Oh, and some very mean people are going to say some things about Daddy when he does all of this, just like they did with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I love you. Don't believe them. Imagine if you stood up and explained to your congregation what was going on. Imagine what would happen if you came out and explained who told you to take this path and what they told you to do, but you weren't going to do this anymore. Do you understand that if you had that courage to stand and speak the truth, that you could literally change the world overnight. God would use your testimony to literally change everything. God could use you as a vessel to change the world, to be the man that stood to speak the truth, who sacrificed his reputation on the altar of the Lord for the sake of the church and for the sake of the world and for the sake of his family. I mean... Do you really want to be the president of the Southern Baptist Convention as it is transitioned into enviro-communo-fascism? Do you want to be the president over rubble? Telling your congregations that we need to experience this season of pain, but there will be a resurrection soon. 
and all that nonsense as you let the dystopians control our future? And you know that the men that convinced you to do this are of low character because they're telling you to deceive and continue to deceive. But there'll be a great life truth at the end. What you don't know is that the men that are above those men that convince those men to do this aren't just of low character. They're sociopaths. And they don't look at the men and women of your congregations as people. You know, those people that you love, those people that you've helped raise their families and been at their bedsides. They look at them as excess that needs to be scraped off. You can reverse this, literally all of this, today. And this might not seem possible, but I've stood in nearly every place that men who were frightened or even discouraged, but those men through history stood strong and proclaimed the gospel in the face of certain punishment and death. I've stood where Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the door in Wittenberg many times. I've stood where Martin Luther stood in Worms and proclaimed, Here I stand, I can do no other. I've stood where the Lord Jesus Christ was made a willing sacrifice for you and for your family. I've been where Whitfield preached his last sermon and was buried underneath the pulpit. I've been where Jan Hus took his stand in Prague. I've been where the Apostle Paul would not capitulate and lost his head. And I've spent time, a long time, many times, standing at the spot in Oxford where Hugh Latimer, tied on a stake to be burned to death for preaching the gospel with his friend Nicholas Ridley. And when the flames reached Ridley and he cried out, Latimer turned to him and said, Play the man, Master Ridley. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England that I trust shall never be put out. And I say to you right now, today, play the man. And you can take that stand. And you can be a real leader. But until then, I already know two men that have counted the cost and have stepped away from this path to destruction. Tom Askell and Vody Bakum. And they have counted the cost. And they have endured the arrows. And the reason that so many have now flocked to them is because they can relate to Tom and Vody. Because they are now all under persecution. And they are going to men who are willing to endure the propaganda and the hate for the sake of telling the truth. And it is my sincerest hope that you will stand for them as well if you're in the SBC. Get yourself to Anaheim this June. That we shall this June light such a candle by God's grace in Anaheim that I trust shall never be put out. I'm Michael O'Fallon, and this has been Public Occurrences, Both Foreign and Domestic. Thank you.